friend Zig starting off. Today on the show we have Benjamin Jane, a singer-songwriter out of Vermont. Um, his album High Low was done with his sister, who was in Barcelona. His sister Amanda Wright, and they did it by sharing tracks and writing music and had an excuse to hang out. And now they have a follow-up album called Theater coming out May 7th. On all streaming platforms, it should be out by now. This is done in post. Um, we're going to listen to the song Talking Heads off Theater. Oh, uh-huh. 
Talking Heads, Benjamin Jane. The album is Theater. Now out on all the streaming platforms, hopefully. Unless those get mixed up. Um, if not, it will be by May 7th. So, um, this podcast is mixed by Studio 44 CLE. If you have any visual, audio, or stream needs, make sure you reach out to Jay Sparrow from Studio 44 CLE. You can be reached at Studio 44 Cleveland on Facebook or Studio 44 Cleveland at gmail.com. Also, if you can like, subscribe, rate, review the podcast and all the podcast platforms, it helps me keep talking to cool people and sharing those insights with you. So without further ado, Benjamin Jane. Family is clearly very musical. Yeah. But does that yeah. does that branch beyond the siblings? Meaning parents, maybe? Right. Or grandparents yeah. or cousins or yeah, uncles? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um. My grandfather, my mom's side, was he um, played trombone in, in uh, uh, big bands traveling across the country. Um, oh. Yeah, and then my um, my mom studied music, and then she taught piano for many years um, while she was doing other jobs and while she was going to school. Um, and my dad also plays guitar and sings, and he was in. Uh, a couple bands when he was in college um they did a couple records um and well, through his, i guess it was university i guess it would have been trinity up in hartford oh wow yeah yeah so yeah besides the siblings yeah i mean it's we go back a couple you know at least that i know a couple generations that were pretty engrossed in it that's awesome do you think yeah i i was just reading about um carol Kay and like that there, i just keep seeing this trend of like my mom played piano, and my dad, my dad played trombone. Like, it's, why is that like a fit those roles? <laughs> like, I don't know. why is piano feminine, and why is a horn not? <laughs> That's good. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I, I never even associated with feminine or masculine because um, I grew up on the piano too. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, and uh, some of the best piano. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. That's. I don't know why we gravitate towards the instruments we do. That's a, I don't know. That's a good question. What brought you to the guitar? Like, cause you, if you, did you start on piano? Yeah, I started on the piano at three. And you know, most wow. of the times people start, I think people start on the piano because it's just this big bulky instrument that's in your house. Right. <laughs> if you have one, it's hard to, it's hard to miss. For sure. For sure. And it's um, easy to like, I push down. There's no yeah. question on the technique. Right. There it is. It's like a drum. Absolutely. Yeah, it's like a percussion instrument for a kid. It's it's you know pretty pretty straightforward. Right. Um. So yeah, I mean, with just with, I mean, I have six siblings, and um, wow. most of them, if not all, I guess all of them played an instrument. So we were, we were always there's always music, and there's a piano there. So I started banging on that, and having a mom as a teacher. She thought it was really important, uh, so she just she started on us pretty early. Yeah, that's uh, so. Where where do you fall in the sibling run? Middle, I'm the youngest. The youngest. Okay. Yeah. Dang. So yeah. like this next next record after theater, <laughs> you gotta get the whole family in, <laughs> and like hopefully everyone else is like scattered around the world, so it can be this crazy colossal sound. <laughs> that's amazing. <laughs> but yeah, uh, it. That'd be interesting. What 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 brought you to the guitar then, from a from piano? Uh, I I mean I play a bunch of, bunch of instruments and guitar wasn't the next one, but um, okay. Then what was was there like a progression? Uh, the up? next one would have been the snare drum. Okay. 
That makes I'm sense. I'm not sure what. Yeah, I'm not sure what. Like at your school, if it was the same way, but um, at our elementary school, like fourth grade, they came around and showed you all these instruments, and you could pick which one you wanted to play if right. you wanted to play any. Um, so fourth grade was that year for us, and I chose the snare. I did that for like couple of years and then i got turned on to the saxophone and i did the saxophone um then on out in school i played that like in the jazz and concert bands okay um but then guitar came about i guess i was probably uh i was probably about 11 yeah when i started playing guitar okay um and that was my parents split up when i was really young they were i was two um and then a couple um i had a stepfather when i was i guess i guess he was i was 11 when he came around and he played blues guitar he played out at, at bars and stuff so he always had guitars around and um so i got yeah i think he gave me my first guitar it was either it was either him or my dad um but he my stepfather said if i could learn this blues lick um he would give me one of his guitars. So I, uh, I, I remember that Whoa. distinctly. And, um, the challenge was set. Yeah, man. What was yeah, it? Do I you remember could, the lick? I, I don't remember the lick. I remember the guitar, and I wish I still had it. <laughs> it, it was, uh, um, yeah, you know, these lessons you learn when you're older, never sell a musical instrument. Um, right. <laughs> but uh, it was, a, you know, not, not an expensive one, but it was the old silver tone guitars. Oh, okay. Nice. That, and they were the ones that were like, the case was the amplifier, so you could, you know, open up the case and plug in the case, right. and yeah, you're set That's to go. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, well, that was that. That so with a kind of branching from like a more like education music based background into the guitar. Guitar is like this weird lingering like it fits into the like the ensembles and stuff but like most guitar players can't read you know what i mean there's like this yeah. there and it's kind of how the instrument's set up right like you uh it's very form based and so you're not really thinking about um maybe uh, as much uh, notes as you would strictly on a piano like when you need to shift scales you need to know where the flat is on guitar you need yeah. to move your hand um yeah. so, so, to know it and that's that's kind of a big generalization but uh did it make sense like trying to pick it up and learn that lick to get that guitar like yeah at it? Yeah. yeah did it click yeah, right more on. deeper or more like clearly than like some of the other instruments or um i don't i don't know that it did but i think you're right about the reading though like with piano you know i could read um tablature um yeah I, I grew up, and that's how it started on it was uh was reading um and then of course with concert and jazz bands with the saxophone you, ha you know you have to right right and that's some um, syncopated shit it's not you know it's more tricky yeah, for sure you got to know yeah you, you definitely know you have to know how to read and what the timing is and all that so yeah guitar i didn't it was definitely more of a uh, field out initially versus the others, which was, you know, definitely more educational back, you know, more structured learning. Um, but that isn't to say I didn't learn. I did learn how to read the guitar. Um, so I did, uh, I will say that I, I did it out of necessity. I didn't have real interest in doing it for the guitar, whereas I did for the piano and, and the saxophone. Right. It, um, 
it, with piano, it just it it makes more sense reading like in playing, and like with sax, that seems to be like the thing too. Like all the heads are written out. At least if you're doing like um a jazz band, you probably ran the standards off like a fake chart or a real yeah chart. yeah. You, you definitely like, have to have the charts. Yeah, unless you're doing unless you know unless you you're at a you know a jazz band that's and you're just doing improv and, you, right. and your ears are good. Yeah. And you've known those standards like to the T. You're like, ah, oh, whatever. T for two. Whatever. <laughs> like, roll it. But, okay. Yeah. So, it's interesting that um, both your like kind of father figures like played out. Like, what kind of music? You said your dad played in a few bands. What type of bands yeah. were they? Were they like blues rock bands, folk bands? No. Yeah, they're folk. Definitely folk. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he was born, he would have been born in 47, so I think 47. So, you know, he came up in the 60s, but not in the 60s that you would think about. Yeah. Uh, he was a little bit before long hair and, and free love, and he was, you know, he and he had kids pretty early. So he was, um, when he was doing folk, it was more the uh, the earlier type traditional folk stuff. Um, like uh, Peter, Paul, and Mary stuff? Yeah, or... kind of more in that vein. Um Okay. And then the other band was like, um, I'm trying to remember what what it's called, but it was there's a lot of harmony, you know, harmonies and um, a lot of members. So it was a lot of vocal work uh, as well. So yeah, he was more traditional folk, I'd say. That's sick. Like harmonies are hard to do. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. And to do them live like that, like I don't know, that's that's interesting. And so then your stepdad was more of a blues guy. So you had like Absolutely. this melding of like these two approaches, like blues music <laughs> compared to like the structure of like a folk tune, right? Everything's yeah. kind of like layered in a way where it's usually predictable the same way. You know what I mean? They like, yeah, like as far as like if you have a harmony written, someone that those lyrics don't really change. Like, you know, they're locked yeah. in. Where, yeah, like, they definitely both have their forms. That's for sure. Right. And the, and the structure too, right? Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, yeah. Ah, that's cool. So, at the same time, was your sister playing music, Amanda? Yeah, I mean, we all, I think the piano was thrown at all of us. Um, and she's a great pianist. I mean, she took it way further than I did. Um, um, she and I, my oldest sister, Lisa, also is a great pianist. And, and um, my oldest went to, my oldest sister went to school and studied, got a, a degree in, in uh, classical piano. Um, but Amanda, yeah, she, she took the piano, like, yeah, I mean, just brilliantly. And she played from probably similar age that I did up and through, I mean, she still plays, but she was at it pretty good for the 15 years, I'd say in the beginning of her life. And then she moved on to the accordion. Oh, cool. 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 Yeah. That's like, <clears throat> have you tried the accordion? Well, only think, you know, kind of messing around in her apartment. Okay. Um, uh, just but that's uh, yeah, it's a little bit more. There's too much coordination going on for me. So. Right, the buttons are weird. And is it a button or a key accord? Like uh, buttons on both sides or a keyboard on one? Uh, button buttons and keys. Okay, buttons yeah. and keys. Button. Yeah, yeah. That sounds like a little like, poker. There's like fifty six or seven. I don't know how many there are, but I don't know how the you know you can remember where all those things go. Yeah, the coordination is crazy. It's yeah, it's hard. I've tried myself. Yeah. Cause I, I I play a little piano and like, but with the accordion, it's you learn all these shapes, right? You learn how to run scales, and then you got flip it sideways, which is a little weird. 
But in <laughs> and those buttons moving in circle of fifths going up and then the fourths going down, like and it's, is that how they were? I have no idea. Yeah. You're, you're teaching me right now. Yeah, yeah, that's like at least that's how the the notes are laid out. I think it's fifths up, fourths down. I can't remember. Yeah. And if you go down the line, it's like minor, major, seven, dominant, diminished, as far as like the chords. And then there's like, then there's the counter bass on top of that, which is like the third of the chord. So if you're playing in a C, yeah. you have an E on top. <laughs> it's fucked. <laughs> it's like, it makes no sense. Like it, it does, but it doesn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I, I don't know. She, um, I don't remember how much she knows as far as reading. Um, I know we were taught reading when we were younger, but I think you know, she's, she she's on the she didn't have a teacher for that she figured that you know that was all by ear and just okay. just innate talent um she uh what is she i guess she was 19 maybe 20 years old she sold everything and moved to and and went to europe right and um the old you know she couldn't carry a piano around with her so she got an accordion and she oh, she okay. just figured it out it's practical it makes sense when did yeah. she uh, end up in barcelona uh, I think she f- ended up there pretty quick. She went there in nine. She went in Europe to Europe in '99, um, and I think she pretty quickly ended up down there and just fell in love with it and and has been there ever since. That's awesome. Was it? Did she go out there for music or just to see the world? I think it was to see the world. Gotcha. Yeah, I think That's... it was. You know, um, yeah, I think she just wanted an adventure and. Um, she, you know, she'd been doing a bunch of traveling here in the States too, with a bunch of circuses and, um, wait, what? Yeah. Not like traditional circuses. Um, <laughs> oh, that's, that's so sick. <laughs> All right. So she was yeah. traveling with like, what with like a, like what type of circuses were they? Like, I, I didn't know there was um, multiple. <laughs> yeah. We was, yeah. So we, we, we grew up in this, there's this farm nearby and, where we grew up and we spent a lot of time there and it was a, a very creative, uh, environment. And, um, so there is varying, you know, groups of you know, troops would come by and crash at the farm when they're on tour, um, with their circuses. And they're like, um, you know, the, some music involved, some fire breathing, uh, acrobatics, um, uh, some elements of like, um, puppetry. She also worked with Brett and Puppet up in Vermont a little bit. You know that that troupe. So, um, so that was we. You know that came to us when we were growing up because of this farm, and so we were exposed to all those circuses and all these artists and musicians at this farm growing up. And then hmm. she kind of hooked up with a couple of them and traveled around the the states. And I think she took my saxophone actually on that <laughs> on the on that trip, and she learned how to play saxophone for that. Yeah. That's so sick. But you know, it's adapting to the situation. And when you're like, when there's an amount, uh, like a ma- like a, a vast amount of just creativity in front of you, you want to be a part of it. And like, yeah, it's it's yeah. so kind of interesting that it was a barn, like a, a, a what? A barn where where all this was going oh, down. The farm. Yeah, yeah it wasn't farm. a traditional farm, like a okay. dairy. You know, it wasn't a dairy farm or like a where you know, like a. It wasn't corn or anything. It was. It was. But it was a farm. I mean, they they were a nursery. They grew plants, um, and veg- you know, like be it uh, flowers and vegetables and stuff, uh, mostly flowers. But it was really just the people. I mean, it wasn't. 
it was a working farm for a stretch there, but for us, it was, it just was just like, for kids, it was just this miracle of a place where, um, the family was just super creative and it was more, it was almost, it was almost like a farm that cultivated arts more than it was a farm of anything else. It was just people gravitated towards the spot and, and people were there every day, you know, 365 a year. There was a music room that sometimes would be jams going for literally 48 hours straight where somebody would take a nap and somebody else would grab the instrument from them and keep on going. Um, so this is the kind of, that's the environment where you grew up in and, and kind of cultivated a lot of what we know today. And it was, I mean, we're just super lucky to have had that around. That's um, amazing. Like it's hard yeah. enough to find like the creative epicenter of wherever you're at, especially at that age and just kind of being yeah. able to wait, how old were you when this was going on? Like, um, well, we met the, the son of, of the, of the owners when we were probably like seven. Okay. So fuck yeah. So we, we've known him since we were really young, but we started hanging out over there probably when I'd say I was 13, 14 and probably 14 when I started hanging out over there. Um, and then it just became like a second home. Yeah. That's amazing. Like, to be in that creative epicenter at that young of age, especially like 14, right? When you're trying to figure yourself out and to be yeah. around a bunch of people doing a bunch of different things like puppeteering and shit. And like, Oh man, it was great. You yeah. know what I mean? Like I, 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 if I would show puppets to my students, they'd be like, this is fucking lame. <laughs> like, <laughs> they, be whole... context. right. But being able to appreciate that and be engulfed in it when you're when your environment changes and everyone in that is shifted and showing some like r- respect for whatever's going on even if it's just like or appreciation let's put it that way for whatever art is being uh, um projected or shared like it that, yeah. that resonates deeply and that opens up your mind to accept so many other things and see the the art and like the effort and the hard work that goes into fucking puppeteering and whatever the fuck else like hell yeah man like that's a crazy art right there in itself right well yeah. it's just and a crazy lesson to learn that it's hard to do that and be expressive and be able to convey yourself with a sock puppet or whatever <laughs> you know what I mean? like, I, I, speaking of that i saw and i don't want to get too off uh, i saw a guy from brooklyn up here in vermont to a, a yeah. puppet show using socks that made me cry <laughs> man i wish i could remember his name but he was freaking brilliant so yeah, man. If yeah, if you, it doesn't. Whatever the medium, if you, you know, if you can make it speak, if you have it, yeah. I mean, I would say one thing about this farm that was probably really, um, really impressed upon us when we were kids is that the adults treated us like we were adults. You know, we were 14 years old, and we were, we was, you know, we sat at the big table, and you know, and you know, metaphorically, right? Um, yeah. They they looked at us and treated us and respected us just as much as they did, you know, their, you know the other adults. Um, mm. So it was just a, and I think that makes a big difference for right. for kids. You know what I mean? For sure. Because you're always kind of like observing the, the adult thing and trying to figure it out being like, that's lame. I'm going to keep playing with fucking action figures. Like the be yeah. included <laughs> in it is another thing. And like, do you remember? So was there a particular instance where, where you were experienced that there for like the first time? Just that um, like being kind of accepted. equity of, yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, man, it's just, the, I, I don't know if there's any one moment. It's just the moment, you, you know. Yeah. It's just, the, yeah, I mean, I don't remember any moment where we weren't treated with, you know, an equal amount of respect and we weren't treated like we had, you know, an equal amount of something to bring to the table. I mean, it was just, uh, uh, it was a, it was a cool, you know, it, we, we grew up 
in rural Pennsylvania, about a mile from Lancaster County, okay. um, in a town that had no stoplights and horse and buggies were tied off at the local grain shop. I mean, it was like nowhere, Bill. And to have this spot, it just didn't make sense. <laughs> or it makes um, perfect sense. Like, what, what or, else yeah, would be there? Yeah. Like, wow. What was there? Yeah. A na- do you remember? What, did it have a name? Like, was there a name? Yeah, it's called Cherrymont. Cherrymont Cherry Farms. Farms. That's yeah. It sounds so not exciting, but <laughs> right. It just sounds like a place. But was that the family's yeah. name? Uh, no, it's just the name of the farm. Okay. Uh, the family, the family was um, uh, Jane Young and Pierre uh, and Patrick Radabaugh were married back then, and they had a son Pierre. Oh. And they were the they were also uh, relatives of Aldous Huxley. Oh. Um, so Aldous Huxley's son Matthew had um, a parcel of land that was on the top of the hill okay. on the edge of the farm's property. So it was those two families um, that, yeah, that was their space. Um, so that was, yeah, I mean, just a really creative bummy. I mean, imagine the, the people that would hang out with Al, you know, all the Tuxley right. and, and, and intellectual types, creative types, their unique types. And so it was, it was pretty cool That's for the- sure. That's like a, a cesspool of life. You're getting it, philosophies from every angle, though. That's yeah, sick. Yeah. Is, yeah. Whatever. Did they uh, end up diving into something crazy? Did they do the circus bit? Any of those? Uh, Pierre and like, or did Pierre? He do yeah, Pierre did. He was on the road all the time. I mean, he. Yeah. I mean, he was. He was all over the country and world doing the stuff. Um, and uh, any, you know, the circuses that we, were, you know, I can't remember all their names, but they, you know, you wouldn't. You wouldn't have necessarily heard of them, but uh, every one of them was called the End of the World Circus, okay. um, and uh, I think one was called Circus Know Nothing. I mean, these are you know uh, kind of uh, niche, yeah, uh, stuff. Um, well, I mean, the circus itself is kind of a niche. You know, what I mean, like th- I'm trying to. I was just talking with um, this guy, Marky Ray. He's a Cleveland, uh, Cleveland legend. He was in. Uh, what was the circus? Um, look it up really quick. Um, something that he was in a circus that like opened up for Nine Inch Nails. Like, oh yeah, this is the type we're talking about. Then okay, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, the Jim Rose Circus. Huh. Um, I wonder. If, uh, yeah, I wonder if that. That's. I a, wonder if they ran. To, you know, if they, if they right? crossed paths with some of these these troops. What did? I wonder what a circus bill's like. Who opens first? Like. <laughs> I think it's about who's who's um who's awake, who's ready. Right, right. <laughs> At least the ones that I was, you know, we were a part of. So, it, what a what a interesting like, like because the circus like has this a vast amount. It's like it's like cinema in a way. Like you have all these mm-hmm. different elements, and it's not just one thing. Like with music, I mean, this is getting kind of off score, but with music, you know, we got the guitar and you're behind it and you got the song, you can play in the coffee house and be ignored and still be considered successful. <laughs> if, you, <laughs> if you are ignored as like a circus, like, it's... Something's, the, something's going wrong some, there. Yeah, you booked the wrong place or something <laughs> yeah. did not pan out. Like, <laughs> But yeah. how long did your sister do that? And like, was there a takeaway? Was she like, I'm not cut out for the circus or like... I don't think it was, uh, I'm not cut out for it. I think it was just uh, opportunities and people and scenes changed as she moved around and, and met different people. Um, okay. uh, you know, so I, I guess 
um, I was young and doing, and we were doing, we were sharing the same scene, but there was a lot of different things going on. So she was traveling when I was still in high school. She might have even still been in high school for some of it. I don't remember, but uh, cool. <laughs> uh, I think she was on the road for maybe a year or two in the yeah. states, and then she got the itch to go over to Europe. Um, and when she got over there, like I said, she got the accordion and she hooked up with a couple different bands and um and just toured all over europe um and uh, it was doing kind of playing and I, I guess it was kind of like gypsy klezmer um okay. um i'm not exactly how to describe the music but it's definitely some gypsy elements it's klezmer music and um unique music right at some least in the states the harmonic minor shit going on gypsy music sure sick yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Nat, is uh, any group she stuck with out there, or is she just doing her solo thing? Uh, she, she was in a band called Dumbala Kanaya. Okay. Um, and she was with them for a while, uh, and I actually got an opportunity to go over there and play with them too. Um, in '07. Nice. Uh, like whenever, whenever. Sharon Bills are like playing in the band. Playing in the band, yeah. Wow. Okay, what was that like as far as like adapting to that? Oh, it was great. I mean, I was 27 years old. I'd never been out of the country but for Canada. And I, you know, flew over to Europe and was living in Barcelona for a few months. And <laughs> so it was just, yeah, I mean, I was wide-eyed and just loving the experience. And it was a different type of music for me, but it was there was a lot of jazz elements in right. what they were doing. And I studied jazz and, and really dig jazz. So it was, yeah, I took to it pretty quickly and... And uh, the vibe of that type of music's so much different than what I do. Um, so I loved it because we were going, we would, I, mean, I didn't do a lot of shows with them, but they were, um, they definitely left an impact on the energy, you know, what, what the energy was like. Cause they'd be these, uh, we played a couple festivals and the energy that they and the audience had was really, uh, really high. I mean, it was, yeah you know, kind of fast paced, uh, unique kind of clutch for jazz stuff going on, you know, gypsy type stuff. And it was just positive, fun, fast, um, music. And I'm, you know, I'm kind of a, historically my music's not fun and fast. <laughs> it's got a space and we'll get into that in a second, but this is fascinating. Um, so like, mm-hmm. like with gypsy music, like that, there's energy to that, that shit bumps. Yeah. Um, yeah. but you, you went to Berkeley, right? And you studied yeah. jazz, but what, were you on the guitar going through Berkeley, or what was your main yep. through Berkeley? Yeah, okay. So at that yep. point, guitar became your main. The the other instruments kind of set aside, and is that where the I had to learn how to read came in? No, I learned how to read in uh, yeah. guitar in sixth, seventh, right off the bat. Okay, um, so he did it um, smart way. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just by the like I didn't do a whole lot of it, but I. I um, the jazz band. I was playing sax in the concert, and the jazz band. Um, and I remember there was a tune, um, in seventh grade, I, there was a tune we were doing in a jazz band called Walk, Don't Run, an old fifties, I think an old fifties tune. And it had a guitar part and he, the guy asked me if I, musical director asked me if I wanted to do it. And, um, I said, yeah, but I didn't know how to read. I didn't know how to translate. I mean, I knew how to read charts, but not, I wasn't, I need to translate that to guitar. I hadn't done that before. So I, I did learn how to do it for that tune. Right. Uh, um, unfortunately I broke my arm and wasn't able to play it. Did, um, did you run? What the fuck? <laughs> what's that? Oh, yeah. Did you run? No. You're not supposed to run. I, um, <laughs> I, actually, I broke my arm. I was at my, I was at my 
my now stepbrother's uh, house. He was my best friend then. And I was yeah. at his house showing yeah. his mother that moshing is safe. <laughs> and what? Okay. yeah, we tripped over, we tripped over each other's feet and fell down. And somehow my arms, like it's, it, I mean, it snapped in half and I mean, it was, it was it pins and surgeries and oh, it was, fuck. so I couldn't, I couldn't get my arm around the, to the neck to play it. Right. So, uh, but that was the first chart I, I learned uh, for guitar and then um and then i learned uh, more charts for high school jazz band right. and guitar so i was i was doing a little bit of it god that's that story is yeah. crazy so like where, where you're like this is metallica and this is cool because you can like what <laughs> i think we we're listening to nirvana okay <laughs> yeah what, was that kind of what was the what was the music you were diving into like just listening to being surrounded by all this like amazing like jazz and like creativity and like how do you even begin to find your own records there's so much influence yeah well that's the thing i mean yeah everything i mean i can tell you the first record i ever the first cassette i ever bought was the cure standing on a beach okay um and i was uh third grade yeah Uh, yeah um so that was the first cassette i bought um I, yeah, I'm the youngest of six, so I'm soaking up everything that my siblings had, and uh, thankfully, they, in my opinion, they had good taste. And so I grew up listening to. Um, it, this is young, you know. This is single digits. I was, you know, between seven and ten. I was doing a lot of the Cure, REM. Um, what else was going on there? There's definitely some U2 back in those back in the day. Um, the Police, the Smiths. Um, and then some punk rock, Dead Kennedys and Dead Milkman, and um, Sick. um, yeah. So that was kind of like the majority. That kind of is, space was where my head was at when I was, you know, under eleven, twelve, and then, and then you know, I I'm, I'm I was born eighty, so grunge was pretty big when I was 13, 12, 14 years old. So we were listening to Pearl Jam and Nirvana then, right. When you started. In middle school, yeah. When I was starting to play guitar, yeah. that was Nirvana was probably my favorite band when I was playing the guitar. Like when I first picked it up, that's yeah. it. Still is. <laughs> you can't. Those yeah. those songs are still cool. right. <laughs> right. <laughs> mm-hmm. But uh, okay, cool. So when when you started getting into songwriting, did you lean more towards like the Kurt Cobain inspired stuff? When did like songwriting became uh, become an art form that you felt you can like express your way? through or conveying yourself with um i had a high school band um yeah i guess i started writing music when i was in ninth grade um and i had i was with the same kind of same roughly the same band throughout high school um so i wasn't doing any solo stuff um and in my in high school years I was doing a lot, you know, I went on the, I followed the dead for, on a, a, you know, my buddy had a, um, a VW bus and we went on the road and followed the dead around tour and we were listening to a lot of fish as well. So we were doing a little bit more of that kind of experimental jam bandy stuff in the band that I was in in high school. Okay. Did that like um, appeal to you because of your jazz kind of background? Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, the dead appealed to me i you know actually i started listening to dead when i was in 
again, this is siblings influencing, you know, right, right. Uh, um, my sister took me to my first concert. I was in sixth grade and went to see Grateful Dead. Um, and, um, so I was listening to them, yeah, probably from the age of around 11. Um, so I, I dug their style. I mean, they had a lot of folk elements and some jazz elements and, and it, mixed, it was a collage of jazz and folk and rock and, and bluegrass. It was a, it had everything. Um, and then fish, of course, a lot of improvisation and jazz influence. So yeah, it was, it was, it was probably easier to just pick a few chords and jam for 10 minutes than it was to actually maybe, or at least for me at that time, than it was to really structure a solid right song. Right, right. Well, it is. It's hard. You got to make more decisions. And when you're working with uh, people that are learning music with you, you know what I mean? It's hard to be like, all right, B flat now. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. easier to like have a structure and then just kind of express yourself on top of it. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And it, it speaks to what we were doing over at the farm too because we were doing like, we did a lot of drum circles and um, uh, and had like jazz. There's a, a couple guys that were into jazz fusion. So mm. when we were over the farm, um, there was a lot of that going on. So we would jump in. And like I said before, where it was just kind of an open forum. If you had an instrument, you bring it, you plug it in. And so there's a lot of fusion jazz going on over there that I was getting into. Um, so that influenced us a lot when we were in our band. Interesting. Like, that hanging out with jazzers is always like an interesting like uh, picking their brains how they play over changes and shit. Was it? There, was yeah, like, I never I never did that and I should have. I yeah? never. Yeah, I just I was really a big ear, ear player and I didn't I didn't ask a lot of questions. I didn't watch too many fingers. It was really all about listening. Well, that's just as important um, too. Like yeah. Well, although I wish I'd I wish I'd strengthened up the other areas because. The year can get you so far, but you know, um, yeah. No, it's the balance I, of it all, right? It has to be. Yeah, for sure. Wow. So, what was Berkeley like? Like, I went to I went to Cleveland State, and like, I don't know, those like big colleges like intimidated me, <laughs> like <laughs> as far as like going for music. Uh, Berkeley. Berkeley was an interesting chapter. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, so yeah, far, I mean, you're coming from the circus farm. It, can it, <laughs> how is it getting more interesting? <laughs> I, it just, it was a big change for sure. Cause it was, I didn't, um, there's a lot of structure there. There was a lot of comp, you know, a lot of really competent players. Right. Um, and, um, I was not a good student in high school. Um, um, you know, my mom's not going to be listening to this, but she, you know, I was a sixth kid. She was essentially, I mean, there was a couple step followers in there, but essentially yeah. she was the solo parent. That's so a lot. there, was, uh, a lot there wasn't person. a lot of supervision going on there certain, <laughs> certain years. So I didn't, I, I didn't really show up in high school. I mean, I, you know, right. You know, literally and figuratively, uh, and eventually they actually asked me to leave, and yeah, yeah and then I, um, so uh, yeah, I went to. They ended up going to like this kind of a, a hippie farm kind of arts high school, and then homeschooled the last year of my high school career. So I mean, I really did not engage in school. Right. Um, so when I got to Berkeley, it was like a pretty big adjustment to to one you're paying for it 
and yeah. two, you know, you got to show up. You got there's expectations, and, and it's, it's for what you what you're into. So you know, you really want to get into it. Um, so it was there's a little bit of stress get, getting up into there and getting situated, um, but it was great. I mean, you know, I lived in the dorms the first semester, and you just you know you'd get down in your pajamas and slippers and go into the, the practice corridors or the, or the, uh, the practice rooms and hear you know, some of the best. Right any genre of music, the best, everything was down there. And it was just awesome to one of the halls and listen to people, you know, practicing the piano or the, you know, um, it's like a jam or one particular band, a Django kind of tribute group. Um, the hot, the hot, uh, uh Berkeley quintet. And the <laughs> Yeah. I mean, the... it was just, the players were phenomenal. So that was intimidating and inspiring. Um, and I was actually, and I'll tell you a little, you know, I kind of got, when you go to Berkeley, you're supposed to get reviewed for placement at your level. Right. Damn. For your instrument. Yeah. And I didn't, for some reason, I missed that. So I showed up and then they were like, uh, you know, my buddy was like, you know, because I mean, he's my buddy now. Um, yeah. But I just met him. He's like, you need to have a practice, you know, prepared piece so they can evaluate you for placement. I said, oh, shit. <sighs> and like, I think the only tablet, the only music I think I had in the room was, and I don't know why I had it, but it was Fly Me to the Moon. Okay. And I had one night to learn it, and I didn't like the song. I could care less. Right. And um, I remember showing up to this placement um, uh, session, and I had this brand-new Gibson ES-175. And the guys asked me, to, you know, what tune you're going to play. And, he's, and I told him, he's like, that's my favorite song. Can I sing along? And it's like, shit. You know, I, yeah. I didn't know it. I knew, I, like, I was, I thought I could just noodle through, like, the first third of it and then call it a day. And, yeah. But I got, Fuck. yeah, got called out. There. I feel it. <laughs> and, oh my god. <laughs> yeah. So I like, I just tried to get through it as best I could. Just butchered it and like got like eight bars in, ten bars in, because I was anxious now. And just and the guy was trying to sing, and it was just so embarrassing. And here I am. I have this like Cadillac of guitars, and I'm butchering the song. I look like a total, you know, <laughs> phony. You know what is this guy doing at Berkeley with his Cadillac on his lap? And um. So I blew that, but for some reason they put me in the advanced. <laughs> Maybe it was to like get back at me for not being prepared. I don't know, but they put me in, in like I think it was like category. I was like one through five, and they put me in five, which is like the most advanced. Fuck. Yeah, and so I showed quick. up for my. Uh, yeah, and um, so I remember going to this this class, and you were speaking of circle of fists earlier. I had no idea what they were, and I showed up for this this first performance class for your principal instrument. And there's like twelve guys in there with the guitars and the instructor and they're like, all right, to warm up, let's do a run of the circle of fists. And, uh, you know, this, and I, I didn't know what the hell they're talking about. And everybody else was just on it. Right. And, um, and I was surprised that the professor didn't notice how bad I was, you know, small class. I was doing shit. I didn't know what was, go what was going on. And it was, um, we had a few days before I drop and I was trying to, you know, I try to grab the professor, but like, man, it's been a mistake. And he's like, he had to, He's like, I got to run. I got a gig or something and took off. Yeah. And uh, I just remember like, what the fuck? This is, <laughs> so I was overwhelmed, you know? Um, yeah. And um, I did end up dropping that class. What was it? More... Was it like a basic improv type stuff or? It was, it's called, I think it's called per, like performance. I, oh, I, okay. If my memory serves me right, like you have your principal instrument and then you have performance classes associated with your principal instrument okay. and then they're graded on your skill. And these guys were like, these were players, and I was not there. Um, 
so there's a level of you know there's a lot of intimidation i remember having to learn al green solo the first semester and i put in like 35 hours in one week on one on one solo and there's another five you know there's four or five classes i have to do work for so i mean it was the first semester was intense um but then I got I got the groove and uh, um, yeah, my my marks are good and the new good performance class is a more appropriate uh, level for me and so I got more comfortable and um, yeah I thought it was the people were great um, um, the play, yeah the players are great the instructors and most of the instructors I had were great uh, met some you know, great friends that are still in my life um, Drew Skinner who's you know. The first person I met at Berkeley ended up being my no okay. roommate. Yeah, and he's the yeah. guy that you did a lot of these albums with. Yeah, yeah, we've been doing stuff for years. Um, what was it? Was the guitar uh, his main? Was he in the same? No, he was a he, he was a music synth or music engineering major. Okay. okay. So um, you know, go on. I was gonna say um, that's a good turn into into the solo stuff. But before I before diving into that, music school is interesting because like. In, in in that like any college academic level, right? Because a lot of people go there knowing everything. You're like, why are you going to school if you already know this shit? And if you don't know it, they're like, why don't you know it? You're like, well, I'm here to learn it. So there's this weird like duality because I I kind of I had this, a, a very similar experience with like yeah. we had a, a an ensemble grouping or whatever, and they were trying to break it off, and they're like, they everyone's calling tunes and playing like uh, blue bossa, you know this stuff they can get away with and i thought i had yeah. how high the moon down and if i fucking uh -huh. i learned like a chord melody that i can play like maybe like 80 bb you know <laughs> slow and like they were <laughs> swinging the fuck out of them like ah! and just butchered it <laughs> and like and all these other players are fucking really good and like it's interesting that when you're surrounded by this like intense environment like they can either cast a shadow of doubt or like cast rays of inspiration. And like, yeah. it's, yeah. it's really a, a mental trick of how you interpret that and accept that and grow from it. And yeah. I always... think there's a duality to that. I think that that doubt, um, that you recognize in your, in, in where you're sitting in, you know, your place with your instrument or where you're at, uh, academically, educationally, like that doubt drives, that inspiration you're like well jesus christ i i know this little <laughs> right you know right <laughs> it's all connected else? it has to be like you have to yeah. you have to hit the bottom and be like i need to fucking like work on some basic shit <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah but okay so, so so you start working with drew and like when do you start like really honing your songwriting like were you still writing through college or like it sounds like it sounds like there was no time to do it because you gotta fucking learn this shit and you know what i mean you don't have that much time to do it but when did like? Uh, a... Well, we no, we had. I got cozy pretty quick with like balancing expectations academically and having fun and playing. And uh, Drew and I actually had a band uh, the first semester. And what was we did, it? We, uh, we well, we were called the uh, Super Zeros. Hey. And uh, uh, I actually played the bass. He played the drums, and then a buddy of ours, Pedro, uh, played the guitar. And uh, so it was again. It was kind of a fusion rock thing okay yeah uh, but but then it was mixed with drum and like it was it was kind of like drum and bass fusion um so because drew was big into uh, you know electronic music um, uh, um i don't know if I, I don't know if i've ever said his name how you say his name but he was big in uh, amon tobin okay uh amon amon tobin however yeah, you say yeah. his name 
I mean, I, I love the guy to death too, but I never heard of him. And so Drew was big into him and then Apex Twins and uh, all this stuff. So um, the way he would drum was something I've never experienced before. I mean, he would, he, it was like, it was like, he drums like Eamon Tobin. Um, so that was a pretty cool, um, right. experience, pretty cool little fusion band we were doing. Yeah. Um, so we were doing right. And then before I went to college, um, no, I'd say after, after I left, I was doing some writing at Berkeley. So I started work, you know, I really started kind of working on songwriting there and did a solo record when I, after I left okay. college. Um, and so I was probably about 22 when I really made my first solo record that had some decently structured songs right and is that like when you like found like because you have this like beautiful low tone and like define your voice like that it takes a long time to find where you're at it was that through that process did you find it or did you come into um come into recording kind of knowing where you were at vocally um i don't i think there was ignorance i don't think i knew i don't think i'm the least comfortable instrument that I'm that I am with that, that I that I use is my vo- is my voice. Um, understand. And <laughs> yeah, and because it's so intimate, and there's right. no getting around it. There's no blaming the you know right. the luthier or the manufacturer. <laughs> it's just <laughs> it is what it is. Um, it is what it is. And I didn't know how to use it. And so for me, it was just. I think actually the way I sing is a result of being really timid about my ability. Um, so I always sang, I think, pretty soft. Um, not in high, when I was in high school, I belted it out, but I shouldn't have. It was terrible. Uh, but then, so then I, I recognized that. I got a little shy about it. So I sang softly, and um, and that's just what happened. You know, it's just right. there's no thought. It was just what it was. Um, yeah, I took one vocals for non-vocal, you know, vocal course for non-vocal majors in Berkeley, um, and that was. It's a little bit illuminating. It helped out a little bit around breath control, right. but um, I don't think I ever really learned how to use my voice until maybe five years ago. Okay. Well, admit I feel like with one college classes with a with the vocal vocal college classes, right? When there's a multi, a bigger group of people. I don't know if this was a one on one or a bigger group. But there's like, about seven of us. Yeah, it's hard to get the individualized attention and understand what. Because a lot of that breathing technique is so much of a like a thing you just keep doing these weird things and it becomes it makes sense later. It's like with piano when you uh, move your hands, eventually you're like, oh, it makes sense why I, I, I put my thumb here, then switch. Or, you know what I mean? Like yeah. these these yeah. physically make sense. And with like vocal stuff, you can't hear it because it's coming out of you. And like you know what I mean? There's yeah. no real like listen back. Like with guitar, you hear it as it's coming out or. With a yeah, and your head voice and what you're hearing is different than reality. Right, know? right, right. It's way like when you put a the, your hand ears, uh, your hands to the side of yours and cut out all the bass from your face. You can like you're like I sound like that. Like yeah. it's <laughs> I, it's a battle. I've I've gone down the rabbit hole immensely <laughs> trying yeah. to figure out. So I'm always interested in like songwriting and like how someone finds their voice. Um, but like. Yeah, I, I, Go on. I was going to say, those classes kind of suck because they're so intimidating <laughs> when you're mm. in a group and they're like, all right, we're going to do this piece from Hansel and Gretel. And you're like, what? <laughs> well, yeah, well, this this one particularly was like, bring, it was uh, bring a song you want to sing. Oh, okay. and so That's you way would, cooler. You, 
Yeah, yeah. You'd get up in front and you would sing to the other six class, uh, you know, classmates and the instructor, um, which was God. That was, you know, that was intimidating. I mean, it right. was a small group, but um, still, you're, you know, he, yeah, an instrument that I'm not comfortable with, and I'm, um, I'm up there with a. There was always a piano player that would be your accompanist, okay. and uh, you bring in your tune, you and um, you know, you had written out all the tablature for it, all the charting for it, and give it to the piano player, and then you just count in and you'd be you know you're up there naked yeah that's even worse when you can't hide behind the guitar fuck (laughs) (laughs) yeah so then he was also discreeting my body language too so not only are you trying to learn how to sing and breathe then he's like well you're not moving right your posture's crap and you're not looking at anybody i'm like man (laughs) ouch i guess but fuck oh i totally yeah those classes are brutal um yeah but uh but okay so the more you do it and the more comfortable you get with how you sound, right? It kind of, you can work in those quarters. Like I can work with having a, a kind of quiet sound and I can make that sound as good as I can. And yeah. like, once you get this first record out, did you play out with it? Did you have a band with it or did you just record it? We just recorded it. And then, um, I did actually, we did a CD release event down in Pennsylvania. I'm, I'm you know, I live in, in Vermont and, right. My sister's in Barcelona and Drew's in L.A. Fuck. Um, and so L- uh, Drew didn't come out for it, but uh, my sister Amanda flew in. Oh, that's cool. Um, she made a way bigger hike, Drew. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she she made a good trip out of it. She stayed for a month and and uh, visited all kinds of family and stuff. But we so I hired. Um, I, that used to be my stomping grounds, like Philly area, and um, so I know a lot of players. So I reached out to some old friends of mine said who can you know who can put together a set with one rehearsal and so we we did do a show for the, the cd release um and that was great it went the band was great um and uh so we did one show there and then i didn't uh, i came back down for another show in november so we did the cd release in august of 19 and then i did another show up here in vermont in october and then we did one in november and then covid just you know right so yeah 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 no that changed the game for sure i had a buddy who just moved out to vermont um oh yeah 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 james mushler he's a drummer so if you're Uh, looking for a drummer don't know uh what what part of vermont i I don't know what part i just i just talked with him and he just uh he's like yeah i'm moving out there he's kind of a free spirit so yeah yeah (laughs) but if you're looking for a drummer but um well yeah (laughs) side note uh so when did you go out to la and start doing the studio work uh, i never went well i lived in la for three years but i never went out there to do studio work with him okay okay because i read that you did a, you did a, that? i read that you were uh playing professionally in la on your oh, yeah yeah <laughs> I, I, I was but okay. it wasn't any it wasn't any studio work um okay. um it was all uh performance stuff gotcha okay yeah what was that you know, like get hard compared uh, that was, was it great like jazz yeah, I mean, stuff was it like getting, What's that? Was it like jazz stuff? Was it like, uh, like what type of? Well, you're picking up with the gypsy thing. Like at this um, point, you have all these different spices you can throw in. Yeah. So I got hired to do a lot of the work I did was through a company called the Do Lab. Yeah. And they, um, they're they were an interesting troupe, a company out there. They're friends of mine from high school actually, but they came, they moved out to L.A. and they started a a, a company with another um, some Canadian girl out there. Um, and it was like a, again, this is a really interesting uh, company where they did um, in primarily event 
work. So they would like, it was a lot of, they started off doing lighting for events, but then they started to do their own events. Um, so they'd bring in artists and they would do the sound and the, and the stage design and the lighting. And then they also then had a, um, uh, a dance troupe that was like, did a lot of tribal, um, kind of, um, it was, it was kind of like theater. It was kind of like theater stuff, but there was no, no uh, overt storyline. It was more kind of implied. Uh, so it'd be like music intertwined with like a loose storyline and like some fire breathing and some circus elements. Um, and then they, they actually expanded to do uh, a big EDM festival called lightning in a bottle out there. Um, and, um, and we did, we had a stage at Coachello that still, they still run it, um, to this day. Um, so they, they did a lot of different event productions, um, that were again, kind of unique, like the circus type stuff. So we would, we would write all the music for, for the, um, the, uh, whatever performance they were doing at the time. Um, and then, um, I get hired by other bands too. I don't, um, for example, like, um, uh, one of them was, um, the earth harp you ever hear of that Mm-mm. not to check it out yeah though. um what, what type of stuff <laughs> he's an inch- nice guy real yeah. super nice guy he invented this instrument it's the longest stringed instrument in the world whoa um okay using these sense. thick using these thick cables and then these boxes around it to, to give it a, the vibration uh, a different vibration to change pitches and then use gloves and you pull on the cables and it makes a, uh, makes a different uh, pitch I got hired to play with him a couple of times. His, his, he was on like uh, 10 years after I played with those guys. I think they, he was like runner up in America's got talent or something. Damn. Like that. Yeah. God, but man, it's that, that's interesting. This, like this, uh, this kind of like vague, uh, borders that have all this different creativity happening and you happen to be by all these things, right? Like that's a horrible yeah. like metaphor for like a circus everywhere. <laughs> but <laughs> how cool to constantly be finding these environments where you have to adapt to whatever's there and the predictability I, I, being like the, the, the world's biggest string instrument to like the crazy drum solo drum, drum circles with jazz fusion guys. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. One to, time I was asked to play, um, uh, what was the instrument? Uh, the sitar. Oh shit. You know? Yeah. And I, remember that? I, I, I had never played one in my life and I remember, talking to my, my buddy who's the owner of the do lab and and uh he's like just take the job and he's like you know just tell him you know how to do it <laughs> fake it <laughs> and, till you um, make it yeah and that's kind of you know they named their, their company the do lab because they're like just do it you know like just we can make it happen the saying was always we can make it happen you know that's awesome um so and i think you know, like i said that 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 company they're from my hometown um so they kind of they didn't actually they didn't really run with that circle over Cherrymont farm but they were like-minded people so they kind of yeah there's a thread that, that kind of goes along with all of this but um i'd say the thing that connects like the kind of um the community that this is kind of you could relate it all to would be you know early burning man community gotcha. um you know these you know they're yeah before that was on the map that you know this, these are the kind of folk that were coming out of Burning Man and traveling all over and doing these art installations and circuses and whatnot. That's so. sick. That's sick. So, um, okay, when the first album you put out, was that High Low? The first one with Amanda. Yeah, and Drew, okay. yeah. Okay, so mm-hmm. let's kind of, when did, 
So after your first solo endeavor, when did High Low come as far as like in the chronological approach? Was there a few other records in between? Yeah, I mean, I didn't. So, yeah, there were. But this is the first like real hard. Like this is the first legit, um, I'd say, product that I put out. High Low? Um, yeah, High okay. Low. The other stuff was, um, yeah, I put out probably like five CDs, but they were all back when things were like, you know, analog and sound was a lot more difficult yeah. for me to um, manipulate um, and make sound good. Because um, I couldn't find them when I was doing research for you. I couldn't find anything other than high-low. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nothing's out on, like, nothing. Let's see here. Yeah, I mean, before the days of, of um, streaming. Right. These are all these records were basically before the age of, the the uh, age of streaming. Uh, the last project they did was was with Drew. We did like a an EP in LA back in '06, um, and then I went off the map. Like I then I just I I was playing, but I wasn't recording. Um, so um, yeah, then there's not really anything that's been officially put out there besides High Low, and then theaters come. Yeah, you know, the theaters the next one. Right. So yeah. going into high low, that was kind of like coming out of this like uh, long. So you've had time to build up material and stuff, and yeah, right. Because like that record kicks, man. There's a lot Thanks, of good songs man. on that. And, Appreciate it. And you, you, I don't know if maybe the other ones were leading up to this, but you you have this space on this record that as soon as you put it on, like there's this vibe that comes out from it, and like yeah, and it's like this mellow. Kind of like I, I to me that's that's why I and like I can feel the 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 lushness of like jazz chords incorporated in there, even though they're maybe not as on the nose as like here's a fucking sharp eleven, but yeah. there's like this this warmth to to those tunes. Um, is that something you like couldn't get out of those first attempts to record? That now that the technology was easier to manipulate, you could. Um, I think in all honesty, there was no, um, hubris to this record. Um, okay. and I think, you know, I think before this one, my best record was the first record I ever made. Um, I was 22. I was pretty busted up emotionally. I just gotten, I just left college because of finances, no, no other reason. Yeah. So that, I was pretty bummed out about that. And that was just a cathartic response to that, you know, that experience. So it was all honest. Right. And then everything between that record and, and high low was me in my twenties, not knowing who the hell I was and trying to impress people. Mm. So for me, it was all, I, I hate to say this to, you know, with other, the other guys that I was working with, uh, you know, we had a great time, but I think a lot of it was, ended up being kind of bullshit. Um, it was good, good plan. You know, it was a lot of good plan. Um, we were good musicians. Um, I think we did some solid work there, but the honesty wasn't there. This one came about, um, I think what you're hearing is just once, once again, that throwback to, I'm not making this for anybody to hear. I'm not making this to, to, for any other reason than to make it. Um, and, um, I think that made a huge difference because we hadn't planned on releasing high low. I mean, it was not on our radar. Um, so, um, I don't want to repeat the bio that's written on the, you know, I don't want to sound like a broken record if you read the bio, but it really was 
um, about my sister and I being like, man, we just, you, you know, our time zones suck. We can't ever connect. It's hard, but you know, we're like, let's just make tunes and that, that'd be an excuse for us to touch base every couple of weeks. And, right. okay. um, so it was just, yeah. And the long answer is, I think it was just really honest and, um, and there's a lot of good material to pull from too, because I hadn't written an album in probably five years and a lot of my life changed 180 when I'm, this record is coming out from a, a place in my life that is completely different from five years, you know, from five years before it was born. So, mm. well, that makes sense. That's, it definitely does have that honest approach to it. And it, so with, with your sister, like involved with this, this was just you guys chatting like, Hey, I have this demo I made. Can you add something to it? Like, how did that process actually come together that you guys were writing songs together? Because I agree, that's an amazing way to stay in touch. And, like, an, yeah. a good excuse to be like, it's Thursday, what did you do? Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. It's like homework, but then the home, you know, your, your homework assignment's due on Sunday. But, you, you know, you don't get in trouble, really. All it means is that you have to check in and say hi. Right, right. Um, so, yeah, so it was great. Um, and the way we did it wasn't... It wasn't like, well, I mean, it, it just varied. It was, there was no, this is how we're going to do it. It was just, um, yeah, one tune was, I, I, you know, I, I work in psychiatry and I was at a, like a, um, I'm a psych, I'm, I don't want to mislead anybody. I'm a psychiatric nurse practitioner, not a medical doctor. Right. Um, I was going to ask you about but, that, but, but so, yeah. so now you're like assisting clients, residents? No, I mean, I have the same the same practicing pr- privileges as a psychiatrist. Okay, damn. Um, okay. So the the role is no different. It's just that I have less debt. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's that's how I look at it. I'm sure an MD would probably tell you a little bit differently. Sure, but, but um, on the personal level, oh, yeah. I mean, I I you know I, have, I I'm in a small hospital in, in Vermont, and I'm the only psych provider there. I do you know I I act in the same vein, the same same role, and same scope essentially as a psychiatrist. Um, maybe a few few nuances of difference, but not hard. You wouldn't be able to tell. Um, but like for example, one tune I went away for like an educational seminar on mindfulness and meditation. Okay. And I got back from that, and I just remember hitting like a little motif on a little uh, five note thing on the on the keyboard when I got home, just for whatever, and um, that turned into Silent Mind. Oh. Okay. Um, and that whole thing just happened. Like that was written in probably 20 minutes. Um, so that'd be an example of one tune that just manifested. Um, Amanda didn't have you know, much to do with it. Um, and then I handed it over to Drew and I said, Drew, just, you know, have fun with it. Um, and then there's other ones where Amanda and I would be very deliberate about the intentions. Um, so there was no roadmap it was just like what whatever the the moment or the song called for or wherever your headspace was at that's just you just follow that um okay that makes sense um, it kind of feels like that because like the last tune on it lie to me that like that duet like that seems like that's a very her involvement would be much more intentional than maybe like how you said um silent mind like um yeah because like that 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 song bumps too that's a goodie like how you guys with that um lie to me last one oh yeah 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 but, yeah, uh, that, she she wrote that one 100 percent priority I start of the of the record, but it it really was. Um, sorry, I, I have two kids and I, I was just oh no, you're distracted. Good. You're good. Um, you're good. Yeah, so she would. You know, she brought one too, and that was completely written. Um, 
and that was lie to me. And then, um, a couple that just kind of came out and, you know, just came out of nowhere that I did most of the work on, but then I, you know, she'd participate in vocals or production work. You know, she helped a lot with production work on the ones that I, that I wrote solely. Um, and then the ones that were collaboratives, um, yeah, I mean, there was really a mix. I mean, there was some that were very intentional. Like I said, that we, we were struggling through some grief, where we lost a family member, and and so we had to, like some were like, let's write a song about you know, this experience, and we would tackle it to, you know, together, fifty-fifty. And others, she's like, oh, I wrote this back in the day, and let, let's just let's do something with it. Um, um, what was the tune like I, that? that? Which was, one? Which um, kind of reminiscing on this family member. That song was uh, sent down those two. One was Boxing Gloves. Okay. She wrote that about, um, so our stepfather died from pancreatic cancer. And she, and, um, she wrote Boxing, Day, Boxing Gloves um, after he passed. Um, um, and then, so she, that one she did all, all on her own. But then I, I performed um, the singing and the guitars and stuff on it. But then sent down from above was another another tune about that where she actually said let's write a song about because we're all you know, a lot of us were having kids at the same time that we lost our stepfather and she's like let's write a kind of a counter to the the grief of boxing gloves and and write one about like you know birth and 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 the cycle of life so we co-wrote then sent down from above a very you know uh, very intentionally mm. um it then took its own it kind of morphed off of the initial intention and got, it was more of another song about grief, but, um, you go where, you go where it takes you. Yeah. So both beautiful tunes. Thanks man. Was it, um, what about Joyride? That wasn't about anyone dying because that's like the most beautiful (laughs) song that says you're going to die in it. (laughs) Um, so that's another one she wrote before the project. Okay. And she, yeah, she pulled out of it. Right. So I was, uh, well, actually, um, when did you get into uh, the psychiatric field? Cause like, um, I went to Cleveland state for music therapy and I've done a lot of like nursing home gigs and gigs and type of like, uh, um, healthcare centers and stuff. So I've been around like, um, the culture in a way, but what brought yeah. you to that? Like, um, so around about, I'll try to be quick about my answer. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so I was, you know, doing music uh, and and all that stuff, uh, event production stuff, and then my my uh, wife got into grad school in Boston. We were in L.A. She got into grad school in Boston, and I, that's when I went to Europe and did some playing while she was starting her studies. So that, that that took her to Boston, and so when I got back from Europe, that was our new kind of base. Um, and I hadn't finished my degree because at Berkeley I ran out of cash, and I couldn't, you know, so I... Gotcha. I yeah. And so she kind of inspired me to get back into school. Uh, and along the short of it was just, I went through, you know, various courses in psychology kind of spoke to me. So I got a degree in psychology and got a job at a, uh, a psychiatric hospital afterwards. Yeah. Um, where we would have people like yourself coming in, you know, we had group, you know, music groups and all that. And, um, um, I got on the, I was going to go for a doctorate in psychology. I was going to get a PhD in psychology Ooh. and, um, and then I just, I talked to the psychiatrist there, the nurses, yeah. uh, the psychologists, you know, various people. And my landlord was a, a, a nurse practitioner. Um, I was also working in a cognitive science lab on campus. 
That's cool. Um, so I really dug, I was digging like the neuroscience stuff right. and the medical stuff. Um, and basically it just, my landlord was like, well, you can kind of merge all that together a little, you know, kind of all kind of works with psych, you know, as a psych NP, you can do a bit of, you know, you got the science, you got the, you know, the people connection, the healing, like, all, it, you know, so it's kind of, uh, I got the nudge from him and so that's what I did. I just, nice. I went, yeah. So. Yeah. That makes sense because then you get the, it's like the perfect fit finding all these things and the neuro, like, I don't know if you ever dove into like the neuroscience of how like your brain's affected by music. Yeah. Like, man, that a shit's bit. cool. Yeah, a little bit. I was doing more visual perceptual, like uh, visual okay. stuff in my at the lab, but but yeah, yeah. And I mean, neuroscience is freaking. I mean, it's great. I mean, it's a really, really great field. Um, I loved working in the lab. I loved you know the courses in that too. So um, you know, college is a lot like. I mean, if you're not set in stone, it's a lot like feeling your you know feeling your feeling your way through a room in the dark. You're just kind of you know you're letting things kind of come to you. You're you're kind of feeling things out, and um, so it all just kind of came together it wasn't it wasn't an idea to start with um it's like being on the farm (laughs) again yeah (laughs) what is it uh it's interesting like the visual perceptual i know this is off the beaten course but that is such a complicated thing neurologic like this how we see is such a fucked up process like how everything's flipped like how did like how did you start to understand that like (laughs) <laughs> I don't know if I do anymore. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, because that was, geez, that would have been 2011, 10 and 11 I was in the, working in the lab. Um, gotcha. Okay, okay. No, that but, make, uh, what's that? No, that makes me feel much better because I've studied all this stuff because I, I, I went to, I got my uh, certification with music therapy and I did the neuro uh, music therapy certificate as well and like learning all this shit about the brain and always having to remind myself I'm like, why yeah. won't it stick in my fucking head? So it's comforting it is, to know that you don't remember. You're not the, whole the only one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you are right, man. I mean, when you're, like, it's hard. It's really trippy to learn about how, like, how we process things. Um, I mean, the fact that first of all, like, uh, we see everything upside down and backwards. Right. It's you know, crazy. Uh, yeah. And then <laughs> your brain twists it all around for you. So it makes sense. Or, you know, um, colors aren't, ah, oh, man, what is going on with this thing? Are you melting? I can still my, hear uh, you. My, my earbuds. Oh, okay. <laughs> all right, um, well. there we go. <laughs> okay. <laughs> the, um, I guess my, my, my electronics were not ready for the early heat. Um, I know. Now it's finally getting warm. I'm loving it. Um, I forget what I was going to say about the, um, Oh, like colors, you know, I mean, I'm not sure what you know, you know, you remember about that, but, uh, colors are just different, um, basically wavelengths that are being, ref- that you are re- reflected at us. Right. So it's just an interpretation of wavelengths and like the fall is just the, you know, like the, uh, dying of pigmentation and leaves that causes a different wavelength. So you're seeing these variations in colors. It's just all, it's all signals. It's not, is it, re- is it reality? Like right. it's, it's so crazy. That is so crazy. And like, and it's all the perception of it. Like, our brains like can process those signals. So red's red for us, but red for humans, but red to any other type of living being may not even exist. Right. It's so, right. and it's something you fundamentally know. Even if yeah. you're colorblind, you know there's colors, right? Even if you can't yep. see them, you know they're there. And there's, but ah, oh, fuck, so cool. Yeah. This, 
another podcast. We'll have music in the brain or whatever. Put a yeah. In that, it's but... like the best explanation you have for like you know neuroscience and perception is like the, the tree falls in the forest doesn't make a sound, and the answer is really it it makes the potential for a sound, but you need the vector to interpret right data. Right. I was just reading so. um rereading um Daniel Levitin's book Your Brain. This is your brain on music. Yeah. Have you ever read any? I have not read okay. it, but if you recommend it, I'll, do, I'll I'll check it out. I think you'll dig it. It's like a lighter way into it, but since you've dove into like actual neural science, you might dig like a um, tout some of Michael Tout's stuff. He's like a, a music ther a neurologic music therapist, like head dude for like all the. Uh, this is a horrible explanation, but like a, he's like the 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 kind of founder. He's the founder of uh, neurologic music therapy, and a lot of his yeah, a lot of his studies and like written uh, um, art journals and articles are all very very like academic based and dry and to the point, and they're all like hundred percent evidence based and like it's as far as like that type of read, anything Michael yeah. Tout, but as far as like a lighter read, um, uh, Daniel Levitin, he's got. The this is your brain on music and the world in six songs, which takes like an evolutionary standpoint to music, which is also very interesting. Really interesting. Yeah, yeah. And, shoot me a text if you if you remember. Shoot me a text of the, of the author. Yeah, yeah. I will. Um, but anywho, so <laughs> let's get to theater. <laughs> while you're here, let's. We're just coming out. What's that? Out. <laughs> right. But um, so I didn't get a rip of it. I don't know if it, there's any rips of it out. I don't. You don't have any of it. No, no, no. I didn't get a rip of it. But I know it's it's more rock driven from from the um, high low, and yeah. like just the name of it, right? And out of everything we've talked about, the theaters that you've been through, <laughs> like the <laughs> amount of different uh, uh, exposure to new types of art and crazy types of art and all these modes of self expression, how does that boil into this? Because I feel like it has to. <laughs> Into this one. Well, I'd say the name may, may throw you with what you and I have been talking about. Okay. Um, it, was old. it definitely is. Um, it definitely is more rock driven. Um, and I'm not sure. I think that probably has to do with the fact that I bought a Guild Starfire 4. Um, like right before I started making the writing for this tune or this record. Um, so whereas before I didn't have any, I hadn't had an electric guitar in a while. Um, but this, so theater is basically the, the, the title and I don't want to get too political. Um, <laughs> um, but there's been a lot of theater this past year mm. and that's the inspiration okay. uh, for the, okay. for the name of the, of the album. Um, in one of the titles, you know, basically there's a title song called theater as well. Right. Um, and it's just basically me being really frustrated. Um, you know, I mean, I can speak a little more, I can get a, a little bit political, but not much because, uh, you know, it's more of a, almost, well, this song was definitely, or this record was definitely much more uh, of a solo effort than high low. Okay. Um, so I can speak for me. I won't bring my sister into the political stuff, but, gotcha. um, just being in healthcare for one. Fuck. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> during the pandemic and coming from a science background and liking things like evidence based approaches and trusting experts and that was all just being pissed on. Right. And 
that was a hard thing to swallow because it affected a lot of people and caused a lot of suffering. So that, that was a component of it. Like, um, kind of how all the, a lot of these leaders and people that are seeking power and people that are in positions of power, um, they kind of create a lot of theater, um, and don't take a lot of responsibility or accountability for how that impacts, you know, citizens and yeah. people that are vulnerable and people that don't, you know, people that don't understand the science necessarily or, or have the means to protect themselves from certain circumstances. I mean, there's just so much chaos and fear and anger and, and lying going on uh, and division that it just it was pissing me off. And so this record is really, a lot of it is a result of that. Right. Um, so, yep. Well, yeah. When, when I mean, you see it firsthand like that, and when, like so much time goes into, say, a drug to help, I don't know, uh, whatever, the knee knee contortions or I don't some some yeah. crazy thing, right? And like to be able to explain how that works to somebody in like a quick, you know, log line of like, oh, it does that, it does that, and does that is absurd because of the amount of time it goes in to learn the process on like a biochemical level on a, like everything's connected, everything functions and does something to everything else in your body. And like, yeah, it did this to dispute someone who put their whole life into understanding how to make the knee contortions. I'm just making up, you know what I mean? But yeah. to understand how this drug fixes it and like it, it's you, there's no way you would have to like take a fucking course on it. You can't just like yeah, log line it and like, yeah, truly yeah. understand it especially with something like with the pandemic that's been so generalized in so many wrong ways <laughs> yeah yeah oh man yeah and it's you know i am the first you know and this is i don't want to give you know the wrong idea about challenging one's fixed opinions i think right, that's what science right. is about is that you want to 100%. you want to actually prove yourself wrong not prove yes. yourself right yes and there's a whole lot of proving yourself right going on and it's it's making a mess of things and um that's, that's the pseudoscience so right but the pseudoscience approach when you prove yourself right yeah yeah so that that's really i mean it's just uh, i mean just watching the amount of hate that was kind of exploding in this country uh the disregard for the, like environmental concerns was another huge issue that was kind of being shelved um and then the pandemic and the you know the dog and pony show that some of these leaders were putting on and ignoring science and it just really, uh, it really affected me. Cause I'm in psychiatry. I work in a hospital. I work in the ER in the hospital and the outpatient clinic, dealing with patients day in and day out. And I'm not doing, I'm not treating COVID, but I'm, I'm treating the emotion, you know, the, the, the psychiatric, the emotional needs of a lot of patients that are facing these issues, losing family members or losing their jobs or losing, you know, and just watching that amount of suffering, um, it was, this record was just a real, um, uh, cathartic release for all of that, um, for all those feelings. So I'm sorry I didn't get a copy, man. I, I no, wish I had no, it's good. You, I, uh, yeah, I mean, um, with, with, uh, um, so on that point or before we get to that, um, so it comes out May 7th on all streaming yeah. platforms, right? Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be fucking kick-ass and like with the vibe that high low has. 
putting some angst and anger into that, it's going to be even cooler. So um, I hope, I hope, man, I hope I, I will say I had another interview where uh, somebody, uh, another podcast um, said it's the, it's the chillest angry music I've ever heard. <laughs> so it's still got that vibe of like, you know, um, you know, I still sing pretty low and chill. Um, it's not, you know, uh, muse or, you know, it's, it's not crazy heavy, but it's definitely more rock influence, you know, heavier, more consistent, um, heavier drums, electric guitar, um, at least the first six tracks and then the last four tracks gets a bit, um, it changes a little bit in the last four tracks, but yeah, I, I like, I mean, I, I, again, my measure of success is not being embarrassed by it. Like, and <laughs> that's a good measure. That's a yeah, good measure I mean, to be proud of what you did, no matter yeah. like what it is. I think that, that's, that is success. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> like, wow, yeah. That, awesome, man. Well, Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with me and talking with me for like, an hour and a half. I appreciate this. This has been awesome. <laughs> um, I look forward to being able to hear it on May 7th when it comes out. Um, I'm yeah, do, do... Um, do you want me to, sorry to interrupt, do you want me to send you any of that so you have a, a, somewhat of a voice around yeah. it? When you're, yeah. All right. Benjamin, thanks for hanging out, man. Yeah, man. I appreciate it. Perfect. <laughs>